gospel according to John. There we go. I was so caught up in that music, I wasn't even thinking about the next thing I had to do. Thank you, choir, for bringing that beauty and glory. If you're following along, it's on page 92 in your pew Bibles in the New Testament section. Hear the word of the Lord. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? Jesus said to them, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A recurring conversation in my house takes place at the refrigerator. My husband, or one of my four sons, will open the door, stand there, move some things around, maybe let out a sigh, and then I walk in. What are you looking for, I ask? And the answer is typically, nothing, or I don't know, I'm just hungry, or we don't have anything to eat. Now, all those responses carry some truth depending on the day, but after decades of the same responses, I actually don't know why I keep asking the question. It's almost like I'm anticipating that miraculous day 
where I'll be able to be super helpful for the type of questions I imagine, but almost surely will never get. Questions like, have you seen that jar of capers so I can make you a tray of locks and bagels? <laughs> that would be a good question. I'd be super happy to help with. Or, where are those yummy leftovers from yesterday that I can eat before I open yet another package of bacon? Also, a really good question I never get. So I'm interested to see today's Bible story unfolding around this same very common question in my house and maybe in yours in different circumstances, and that is, what are you looking for? Though we are still in chapter 1, John has already covered a lot of ground in his gospel, and he begins before even the beginning with a claim going back to when the Word of God was with God, when all things came into being through this Word, and then the Word became flesh in Jesus Christ and moved into the neighborhood. Then he has John the Baptist come quickly onto the scene to prepare the way, and John draws spiritually hungry disciples to himself who probably didn't know what they were looking for either, and John baptizes them in the Jordan River and consistently tells them, whatever you're looking for, I'm not the Messiah. Someone greater is coming. So when John sees Jesus, he cries out. One can only imagine with some degree of profound relief, look, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that Greek verb for take away can also be translated as to lift. Take is a little... I don't know, weak, like you take out the trash, you take a break, you know, take away the sin of the world. But if the literal translation is, behold, the Lamb of God who lifts from us the sin of the world, that's much more vivid. Imagine being pinned to the ground by sin or despair, and Christ lifts the burden right off of you. Imagine being weighed down with fear and hopelessness, and Jesus lifts that weight off so you can stand up straight once more. Imagine going out into the desert for who knows what to be cleansed from your sins and hearing that there is one who can take that sin away. And not just your sin, but the sin of the entire world, literally cosmos. The very next day, John is again standing there with his own disciples when Jesus walks by. And again, John points out quite helpfully and loudly, look, the Lamb of God. And his disciples, either because they are suddenly convinced they would like the burden of sin lifted, that would be very nice, or because maybe they have nothing better to do, or because they're simply curious, well, they begin to follow Jesus. And this leads to the question from Jesus himself at the heart of the passage, what are you looking for? Now, Jesus asked many questions in the Gospels, as I'm sure you know, and maybe you've counted them like some people, not me, but, but some spend their time counting these things. And, and supposedly there are 307 different questions that Jesus asks in the Gospel. Well, that made me, of course, think of being a parent to young children and all those questions that come 
at you, like starting a super early first thing in the morning and going all the way till nighttime. Questions, 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 questions. The average four-year-old, they've done studies on this, asks 437 questions a day. Amen. Now, while parents may tire of those constant questions, we know the questions are vital for learning. Questions and parables are two of Jesus' favorite ways to teach his friends, and both methods have in common. They require thinking, imagination, participation. It's not about just information with Jesus. It's about transformation. So Jesus asks a lot of questions. He asks questions about longing, about compassion, about identity, about faith. He has questions about doubt and about worry and about the reach of love and who is your neighbor and about healing. Do you want to be made well? But today I'm concerned with just the one. What are you looking for? Back in 1988, I was a college student who found her way to the chaplain's office and I had this wonderful community of other young Christians and we were all from different backgrounds, but we were asking the same questions, not just the normal ones at that age, who am I, what am I here for, but the ones about why is there so much suffering in the world? The, the question about how is God calling me to respond? We were looking for identity and purpose, and we found it in our little Bible study group, but we didn't leave it there. We held bigger conversations. We planned mission trips. We invited other people to worship. We didn't have all the answers, but we had plenty of questions. If I had known the poetry of Rilke back then, I would have resonated with his words from letters to a young poet. Maybe you know these. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves, like locked rooms and like books that are now written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. And perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. Our college chaplain in those days invited us not only into the chapel and into his office, but into his home. And there we were warmly welcomed by his wife, and we spent evenings debating the problems of the world. I think I was in his living room when I first heard God's call to ministry. It was a very memorable day for me. Mark Twain said, the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. My call to ministry at the time felt like the day I found out why I was born. Yet, in the intervening years, so many other moments and answers have been presented to my spirit, answers to what I thought I was looking for and what I wasn't looking for but found anyway marriage, the birth and growth of each child, the way I've seen God enter the most hopeless situation and bring light and peace and healing. All those are moments to live for. You see, I think sometimes we're not really sure what we're looking for from God, surely from each other. And we're not unlike a teenager in front of the refrigerator 
with a vague hunger for something we just can't seem to find. What are you looking for? When Jesus asks this direct question, the two men answer with another question. Teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus doesn't push back that they don't answer his question, but instead he invites them to come and see. And we can only imagine what that would be like. What did they see when they went to the place where Jesus was staying? Did they see him lifting a glass for a blessing? Did they see him praying over food, singing a psalm, telling a joke, telling stories? Do they see him playing with children or sharing leftovers with the poor? Do they see him talking to, quote, unclean people on the way home? Do they see some of his teaching or is just seeing how he lives on a random day life-changing enough? Whatever they experience, it's interesting or moving enough for them to tell other people about it and to give them the same invitation to, to come and see. What would people see if they came on short notice to your home or to mine? These two Jesus followers, they didn't know what they were looking for, but they found something anyway, and they began to share what they found, and the church was born, a collection of people won over to the way of Jesus one person at a time, one meal at a time, one relationship at a time, one struggle for justice at a time. This week I was reminded of the story of Dr. Luther King Jr.'s call to ministry. He wrote about it and he said it was neither dramatic nor spectacular. It came neither by some miraculous vision nor by some blinding light on the road of life did not come as a sudden realization, he said, but a response to an inner urge that gradually came upon me. This urge expressed itself in a desire to serve God and humanity and the feeling that my talent and my commitment could best be expressed through the ministry. As you know, Dr. King's first church was in Montgomery, Alabama at Dexter Avenue Baptist in 1954, and the church had had a time of internal tensions members from back then said that church leader, leaders at that time were looking for a non-controversial pastor who could help restore morale. They knew what they were looking for, but I'm not sure it's what they got. And as King was establishing his pastorate, racial tensions were rising in Montgomery. About a year after his arrival, Montgomery seamstress Rosa Parks was arrested for refusing to yield her seat on a bus to a white passenger. Again, Rosa, I don't think, was looking for what came next. King began speaking out then and leading peaceful protests, and from the church helped ignite the Montgomery bus boycott, which he saw as a natural extension of pastoring his people. Though he may not have been looking to become a civil rights leader, his encounters with his neighbors set him on a path that changed the course of a nation. They told him their stories. And in the stories of these black Americans, he heard the biblical story of God's desire that all people would be free. That struggle for justice continues. 
And many of you have told me you come to Fairmount to be strengthened for that struggle, that you enjoy worshiping with others who both desire and work toward ending racial injustice and lifting up the cause of oppressed people everywhere. You are concerned about the climate and the welfare of immigrants and poverty among children in Cleveland. You have felt called to get involved in the Dominican Republic or greater Cleveland congregations or prison ministry. You are part of a congregation that robustly welcomes LGBTQ individuals that proudly displays an earth care congregation sign in our front yard. You know what you're looking for. Justice, peace, equity, truth. And others among you have told me of different things you're looking for. That when you come to church, you're looking for a break, a Sabbath, a community, a sense of belonging, incredible music the glimpse of the holy in this sanctuary. You're looking to offer your musical gifts or your organizational abilities or your finances, and in that giving, you find a family of faith here with others who are looking to be authentic and whole and kind and generous. Here in mid-January, at the end of the calendar year, is not, not too far in the distance past, and most of us I think, have been wondering if there's a place in our lives where we need to begin again. And as we encounter the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the very start of it, when he called his disciples, we can think about our own new beginnings. Maybe we're still setting goals. Maybe we're working through relationship struggles or health crises or trying to discern a different path. All of our attempts at resolutions and new beginnings, go back to answering the question of what are you looking for? At the beginning of this new year, I also think we need to hear again Jesus' invitation. That invitation is to come and see no matter what we think we might be seeking. We need to remember his call to each one of us, the promise of his presence, the way he claims us in baptism, the way he names us or renames us in this life of faith, the way he sends us out into the world to make a difference. We need to be open to the reality that what we think we are seeking may not be what we find, but what we find might be something better something that makes us more whole or hopeful or makes the world a better place. When you are tempted to get discouraged at the state of the world or at the state of your own heart, remember you are invited to come and see and to come just as you are. You are enough. With all your doubts and your questions and your disappointments, with all your silliness or your seriousness, you are enough because God in Christ is so much more than enough. And together, together we'll look for Christ at work in this world. Together we have all the spiritual gifts needed to be Christ in this world. Let's not be afraid to sit at tables, 
to open our homes, to share our stories of what we're looking for and what we've been delighted to find. And let's keep thanking Jesus for lifting up our sin and the sin of the world so we can help make other people free.